welcome back to another episode of The TV That Changed Me, the podcast where we reflect on what Phoebe Waller-Bridge has taught us about our labia. Not really, I just kind of wanted to say that. The podcast where we explore how some of the world's biggest TV shows have shaped our lives, relationships and identity. And today, we're going to talk about Fleabag. So, I have a little confession to make. I actually hadn't watched Fleabag until the guests on today's show asked me to talk about it. Um, And I realised that makes me probably the only woman in the UK who hadn't watched it. Um, And for huge Fleabag fans, I'm really, truly sorry. I think what happened and what put me off initially was that I started watching it and it just seemed like it was going to be a lot of talking to camera about awkward sexual experiences and I just it made me sort of cringe and I thought it was a bit a bit cheesy um so when Mel and Clancy from the Open House podcast asked me to watch it I I kind of I was forced to give Fleabag a second chance and I'm so glad I did because this show that I thought was like a little bit cringy, a little bit cheesy, uh, was actually so much deeper than that and explored these themes of guilt and of grief um, and how these things rule our lives um, in this really uh, like a deep and amazing way. Um, And that's what we're going to talk about today. So let's get to it. Hello, everyone. Um, I'm Mel. Clance, do you want to go? I don't know if I have to say anything about myself. I was expecting more of an extensive, like, bio than that, Mel. Okay. Hi, I'm Mel. Mel, I really, like, I do think the podcast is going okay, but you're not share yet. Like, (laughs) oh, yeah, okay. (laughs) So, yes, for those of you who haven't heard of me, I'm Mel, just Mel. (laughs) I have a podcast with Clancy called Open House, um, and I'm also an actor and a musician and other things general finger fingering fingers in many pies kind of guy Ooh, do you know what general I mean? fingering Gen- oh god Fantastic. this is going so well, well isn't done, it? anyway who, who are you um i'm clancy <laughs> i'm clancy um, i'm also an actor um and i also co-host um and uh, co-produce co-produce the Open House podcast with Melissa. Um, and fun fact about me is that I use for everything is that when I was younger, I grew up in Singapore. Um, that's kind of like my go-to fun fact. Like I, I'm, tr- I'm trying to like reflect on my life beyond when I moved here. And I'm like, no, that was definitely still the most interesting thing about me. So I'm going to stick with that. Amazing. And Mel, you need a fun fact now because Clancy gave oh, a fun God. fact. Oh God, you know, I just give it all, Beth. I give it all. Um... I don't, I feel like I don't really have anything. I should know this because this happens all the time when you do like acting jobs and stuff and like, does it, or people always ask you for fun facts, but I never know what to say. Mel, you've got loads of fun facts. Can you tell, you you do one for me. I was going to say, Mel, your fun fact, you do coding, which is really cool. Oh yeah, I can write computer code. Yeah, that's 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 more yeah i have lots of special interests <laughs> like french. random different i speak french yeah that's also interesting so there you go good. that's my fun fact you're like um in taken very p- particular set of skills you know what they yes. say about um what's the dad in taken called he was in love liam actually neeson. liam neeson exactly yes. yeah so there, there you go you've got some special skills <sighs> I am Liam Neeson. That's what we're that's what we're taking from this. Mm-hmm. Sick. I mean, cool. I, don't, Got it. I don't know if this is too much of a detour, Beth, but I was 
so I was looking at watching Love Actually the other night. Um, <laughs> again, Mel. Uh, Mel fucking hates Love Actually and I love it. Um, but Liam Neeson, when he talks to his stepson, is like full on like talking about his sex life. And I was like, is this appropriate, Liam? Is this no. appropriate? Like, do people talk to their 10 year olds about like how much sex they're going to have? No, and I know exactly the scene you mean. He says, uh, if I go out with Claudia Schiffer, we'll have sex in every room of the house, right? Yes. Yes, It's so not cool. (laughs) Including yours, he says. Yes, so gross. And the the son's just like, (laughs) weird, weird, weird. I was just going to say, I'm adding that to the list of reasons why I dislike Love Actually. I mean, that's a podcast in itself, isn't it? Yes. Everything that's wrong with Love Actually, but also a bit right, but a bit wrong. So... Today we're going to be talking about Fleabag. Yes, Yes. season two, two. if that's okay. I know, I love that. And my first question, why Fleabag? And my second question, why Fleabag season two? Okay, okay. Um, Okay, so Fleabag for me, and I'll start and then Mel, you can also go. So Fleabag for me, um, I'm trying to think of where, when I came came to feedback but it was definitely once it had already become like the amazon series or the bbc3 series um and i really enjoyed um the first season and loads of people had kind of like recommended it to me um and i thought the way i think phoebe waller bridge is an icon she's so quirky and like she says and like she verbalizes everything that people think and don't want to say it's that like ultimate like cleansing of the soul kind of thing and she's vulgar and she's horny and everything about it was like this is an incredible um uh, picture of contemporary female sexuality and i just loved it and i just connected to it i thought it was fucking fabulous and she was fucking fabulous and she's a and the fact that it was she wrote it all herself it's that like we everyone loves a um a self-made story but the second season uh for, was like next level i just thought it was everything was more developed everything was more interesting every scene was like had me in stitches it was poignant and it also it was about hope as opposed to kind of the first season, which was very much about like despair and grief. And so for me, it, it hit all the right notes and I really connected to it, but we can expand on that later. Yeah, what about you, Mel? Yeah, I don't really have much to dissimilarly to say. I think it's a, I think it's brilliant writing in itself. And I love that it started as a one woman show Um, that was doing the fringe circuit I think that's brilliant and I also think it's really important for people to know and see that a lot of a lot of tv and a lot of shows they come out of you know theater pieces and stuff like that whereby people are getting something together and they're devising and they're creating and it comes out of this sort of room and it's and it's not always all people who have um you know I'm not I'm not saying that you know Phoebe didn't have connections and and all that kind of stuff but it's not always like you know um sort of the glitz and glamour of 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 these people being thrust onto the red carpet and writing all of these fabulous things it has a you know it has a journey and you can feel that it has a journey and sort of that whole thing as to why I you know want to talk about season 2 as well is it's it's really interesting to see that journey from from season 1 season 2 season 2 I was fully gripped I was even more so than the first season. I think that is very telling of how it's come on this journey from, as I said, this one woman show and it was spotted and it was seen and people wanted to see it. And then it came to being what Mm. it is now, which is an iconic piece of writing. 
um, yeah. Yeah. And I think as actors as well, it's that it's a romantic story, like what happened to her, you know what I mean? She, she wrote a little play for Edinburgh and now she's fucking famous and it's, it's every yeah. actor creator's dream really. So I think everyone can kind of connect to her, her journey and she's very, um, well, I mean, from everything I've seen, see, this sounds like creepy stalker, but from everything <laughs> I've seen, she seems like a really, um, lo- lovely person. So you kind of yeah. want to root for her. I agree. Yeah. yeah, I really, I really get good vibes from Phoebe. Yeah, you yeah. get good vibes, don't you? If I ever meet her and she turns out to be a dick, I'll be so disappointed. Mm. Oh my god! Oh me yeah, too. I'll be devastated. Yeah. So, do you want to just explain? Probably should have done this at the question before, but never mind. Uh, the premise of Fleabag, and then the premise of season two, just so we have an idea of that little arc we were talking about. Okay, I'm going to see if I can do it. Okay, so. <laughs> Uh, so the, the the premise of the entire show is sort of a self-discovery, I guess. And, uh, and we see this person sort of go on a journey through very much predominantly the first season, their, their sex life and their, their life um, in relation to their sexuality. And they're discovering that and understanding why they might put themselves in certain situations and, um, whether they use sex for certain reasons. Season two very specifically looks at um, her relationship with her family <laughs> and her and a really hot priest. Hang on, but um, we, we, Mel, you missed the big thing. You missed the big plot, the, the plot point about Boo in the first season. Yeah, but I didn't want to give that away. Can we spoil things, Beth? Uh, yes, I've pretty much spoiled every show we've talked about so okay. far. So I think in the show notes it will be like, Spoilers. Okay. In case we didn't make it abundantly clear, you're about to hear a Fleabag spoiler. Fleabag does a thing to her friend and um, she basically (laughs) uh, thinks that she is the reason that her friend has died, for want of a better word, due to... um, due to her having slept with her boyfriend and she we live with that guilt that she has through the entirety of the two seasons yeah we watch how this um guilt i guess plays itself out and how um her relationship to her to her sex like to to sex and to her sexuality has um influenced and come a cropper i guess um in 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 mix with all of her relationships with other people and season two um, specifically focuses on her budding, blossoming, a relationship that she um, goes into, I guess, with with a priest and yeah. That's hot priest. A very, hot priest. Yeah, hot priest indeed. Mm. Um, what, I guess that's, that's it, sounds too many spoilers. No, I think that's amazing. And um, what do we think of the priest? as a character and just the storyline. <laughs> Tell me everything and all your feelings about the priest. Okay, okay, okay. Can't see you again. Um, okay, so I, I, so this is the thing. I think he's a very flawed character and Mel pointed out, we were rewatching it before we like came back to you with yes, which I one we wanted to do. We were rewatching it and I hadn't noticed that he's like definitely an alcoholic. Mm. And I, I, cause like every time Philly bags in the room, he's like, do you want a drink? Do you want a drink? Oh yeah, keep topping up the drink. Do you want another drink? Um, and he's like Jean. jumping to get that um, bottle of alcohol from the top of the um, the back room when he's literally jumping and he's so stressed about it. I was yeah, like, wow, I, that looking. And I hadn't, I hadn't, I hadn't noticed. I kind of like was like, well, he's Irish, um, but I think he's um, gorgeously lovable and has clearly been through. Um, 
clearly has a history that has brought him to the place where he's like, actually, I'm going to sacrifice so many uh, kind of enjoyable things in life to find a kind of peace and a kind of faith and a stillness and a contentment. Um, yeah. So I, I think there's, there's a real, there's, there's a lot behind that character, but as a whole, he's just lovely. He's a fucking lovely guy and he's sexy AF like, and the chemistry between those two, we were like, um, that scene where they're outside and he was like, well, fuck you then. Me and Mel were like, Oh, I was like, Oh my God, what's going on? I'm questioning. Let me just get my, let me just see Yeah. Yeah. Let me just get my knife and cut it like through the tension. It was so sexy. But what's really interesting about his character is he seems to be the only person who can tell that she's breaking the fourth wall. Yes. <laughs> I love that. And I, I, I yeah. keep wondering, well, um, Clancy and I talked about this the other day where I where I um, did an analogy that the fourth wall was a fox. But, um, I'm <laughs> the not fourth wall was a fox. This. I'm not going to rehash this. Here. Well, I'll slightly rehash this here. So, um, well... <laughs> I well, it was only a brief moment, and it's when they're both sat on the bench, um, and obviously Priesty freaks out that there's a fox nearby because he's scared of foxes, and the camera pans in very interestingly in the same way that that fourth wall camera pans in. You know, sometimes it kind of comes in closer as as Phoebe Waller Bridge's character Fleabag will do sort of a turn with her head, and I don't know, it just looked like it looked like we were it and it was us and and i i thought for a moment that there could some, be something to do with the fox on the fourth wall i realize now that it's absolutely ridiculous and that's not a thing but no i think you're i think you've got something because there's a fox right at the end right yeah. when they're sat at yeah. the bus stop there's, there's yeah, they think is we never see the fox but like we so yeah, they, they, it like comes up, but we never see it. And then we see it at the end yeah. when she and says she, goodbye. Yeah. And she tells, she tells the fox to go that way to go to him. And oh, yeah, she tells the fox to go to him. And then I hadn't she about turns that. around and then she turns around and tells the camera to stay and then turns around and waves it. Who knows? Maybe yeah. I'm right. Phoebe, if you're listening, <sighs> let me know. Get, let us know. What does that mean? Um, why would the fox be there? I, I love it as a I theory because you've really blown my mind, but I'm also like, why? <laughs> um, but one thing I will say about the the him being able to see the fourth wall, which I think is really interesting because we don't really see her have many friends. Like she loses her, her, her best friend and then no one else in her life really connects to her in the same way. Like, you know, she, she makes jokes to connect with people and they end up backfiring and she like has to deflect somehow. And he's kind of the only person who I think really sees her and gets her like at the first dinner party table, like she'll say things and he'll, he's really interested and he gets the jokes and he wants to know. And, and so maybe that the fact that they can both see it is that, uh, you know, the representative of their, like their true connection. And it's fucking funny. The fact that he can see what her mind's doing and her, her moments when she absents herself. So she's really visible to him, which her yeah. makes her really vulnerable. And I think part of the reason she loves him. Yeah, I was going to say it's like it's very it's it's shown very clearly that she's letting him in and it's 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 funny to watch how wild it is for her to have consciousness that she's doing that when he sees this this head thing that she's doing when she is breaking the fourth wall even though at one point her father says to her that what what's the line you love better than anybody else I know that's why you find it all so difficult or something like that, which I think is, 
fascinating how she's so easily able to like let these people into her life and have such close and visceral like relationships and loving bonds with them um i.e her best friend and and now the and now this priest um even though she's not even completely conscious that she's doing it which i think that that whole fourth wall thing shows really well i think that's really interesting anyway and i think also the fourth wall is actually a coping mechanism it's it's which i i would love to say was my own idea but i read it in a vox article um and they talk about how you know fiona shaw's character who is the therapist comes on as the therapist is um you know also really sees her sees right through her and is like you know you're using sex as this coping mechanism you've got you know you're this girl with an empty heart and it's apparent that yeah the coping mechanisms in the show are so yeah i know fuck kills uh our <laughs> sex and the kind of jokey talking to the fourth wall mm-hmm. and so when the priest can see through that and he won't have sex with her and he can see through the fourth wall, it's like wow he really sees her for exactly who she is which mm-hmm. is is really powerful I think it's that thing of like um, when you're in an uncomfortable situation of like getting validation from other people. So she looks at the camera as if to be like, oh, yeah, that's funny. And so that's her way of being like, people are on side with me. I've got this audience who exists, who are on my side and I can go to and feel like retreat to. Mm. And it's so prevalent. It's so um, rhythmically written throughout the show. To mm. Easy turn. And it's an easy it's it's almost I mean I haven't sat I've not sat, I would be very intrigued to do this I haven't sat down with it literally musically or counted beats per scene or beats per specific amount of um time that we're covering here but it's so like inherently part of her like m- like movement vocabulary you're right it's really rhythmic and it really reminds me actually it really reminds me of something a therapist said to me which was like you punctuate like nervousness with laughter or something not maybe he didn't say it quite as poetic but she really punctuates the show with the turning and laughing off to the fourth wall as well yeah it's rhythmic I think one as an audience member can find comfort in that in the knowing that it's coming in the knowing that we've and I wonder I don't know I don't know if it is an easy is an easy out because we do see in the show that she sits with like some uncomfortable things it also reminds me of something a therapist said to me where um, she said to me, uh, you don't have to make your pain entertaining. Oh, oh my God. They love a good line like that, don't they? <laughs> oh, they fucking love it. But because I like, because as someone who is an entertainer, I want people to laugh at me and I want people to like me and I want people to find me funny. And like, even in a situation when I'm paying for someone to listen to me, I still want them to enjoy the interaction if that makes sense we all have a stand-up version of the stories i swear i don't know i don't think we're the only people that do this but we do all have a i would like i think we have the stand-up version of the story that we tell especially if it's the slightly difficult one that we're like oh god oh do you remember that time yeah and you'll tell the you know the minorly entertaining part you know entertaining version stand-up version of the story i don't know what the answer is i think there's massive Mm. use in sort of comedy for purposes of um creating levity and giving perspective but I but especially in Fleabag's case I'm like is it is it helping this character I don't know (laughs) your podcast is all about having difficult conversations and that's you know maybe what Fleabag is as well you know she's having a difficult conversation with the audience at all times and she's also bringing up a lot of topics which are really difficult to talk about like the first episode of season two her sister has a miscarriage 
have you noticed that Fleabag has kind of like helped you approach any difficult topics? Um, yeah, I think for me, um, Fleabag has been so uh, instrumental, which sounds dramatic, but it's true, um, in being able to talk about sex in a way that a cis man would. And being able to talk about uh, desire and being horny and wanting to fuck and um, in a way that isn't peppered with um, society's expectations of how a, a fab person's sexuality should be. I think all of her conversations around, you know, when she says um, in the first season, she's like, is my asshole just really big? Those are genuine concerns. Like, I'm not being funny. Like, I was looking at my labia the other day because I didn't realise that labias were different. Like, and from but now because one of, another or, like, from themselves or from other people's labias? No, from other people's. Okay. I didn't right, realise right. that until, like, a few months ago and I was talking to a friend of mine and she was like, oh, was yeah, like. Me? No, it was oh. another person. It was a, a, a person in a, in, in a dressing room. Um, and they were like, um... I think they like got into like how people are doing like labiaplasty and I was like, why would people do that? And they, she was like, well, because, you know, di- different people's like labias are different and so some people want theirs to look like that. And I'm like, wait, what? Like, do they, what? So then over the last few months, I've been like getting really into like people who do like um, like vulva drawings and stuff because I was like, ah, oh, ah, oh, it's not just mine. There are other, what? What? I've been just so intrigued. And I'm like, <laughs> why the fuck, why the fuck aren't people talking about this shit? And Fleabag talks about that kind of stuff. And she talks about, um, yeah, her needs. And uh, I find it very liberating. What do you, what do you think, Mel? Yeah. I mean, yeah, I think similarly to, I think similarly to Clance, I think it's generally like created a world in which, in, yeah, especially, especially for um, AFAB people to feel like they, yeah, have like ownership over, over their, sexuality or being able to talk about it or at least like I don't know it's just been like a general like a natural occurrence in like the like in friendship groups that that the conversation has got more um like gotten more um not that you know I think we weren't talking about it before but I think yeah it's just given space for that generally or at least given space for that to exist now be that somebody else writing in a similar way um and I think um, not that it's a difficult uh, conversation. Go, go on. I was just going to say, and obviously as a priest, you know, it's helped you unpack those ideas around celibacy. And Yeah, I was also going to make a labia comment, but I was like, I, I did actually know that labia were different, but no. Um, but yeah, no, I'm I'm not a priest. Um, but no, I do find a <laughs> chat about um, that last line that the priest says about love and it passing and that kind of thing I my heart difficult conversation but I do I do think actually I know I don't know I don't know if it like made me be able to able to talk about it but I'm I'm not always one for like speaking like romantically or about feelings in general because I'm kind of bad at them um as a as a general not even just the romantic ones just all of them um but um but I do think I do think it's it just sort of brought um yeah, a new way of looking at it. It's almost, it's quite logical, I think, the way that he, well, prior to that, perhaps not quite logical, very much led by the heart, very much led by their emotions. But that that line um, intrigued me and just allowed me to sort of like unpack 
what it means to choose love and to not choose it. Yeah, so the line you're talking about, is that when he says it will pass, basically, mm-hmm. about the yeah. love? Mm. Yeah. I love you. Mm. It'll pass. And that really, um, uh, it's fucking genius, that line, because, like, it does. It does fucking pass. It love does pass. Does pass. Uh, our emotions towards people and our friendships fade, like, and, and when we stop having contact with them, um, those those feelings become dimmer. And it's, I think it's so poetic and so poignant. And I definitely connect to that. My um, my mum passed away at the the end of my first year of university. And it's so interesting that, and I think anyone who's lost anyone, whether that be like to, to death or just in life, like we all lose friends and partners and lovers and, you know, things that could have been. Um, and I think with every, every day and every year that goes on, those feelings become dimmer until they're kind of not really there anymore and they change and they evolve and so you know being a human and connecting to people is in a constant state of flux and I think that dialogue encapsulated that sentiment with just like beautiful simplicity a hundred percent and I think it's actually work in a grief charity and the you're joking amazing yeah yeah, it's really interesting place to work it's like talking about death from morning till night and I actually don't mind um because it's it's great to be in a place where people are so open about it but um one of the models we use is growing around your grief and you can kind of use that for anything you could use it for heartbreak you can use it for grief you can use it for any kind of sad thing and basically it's the idea that the pain stays the same but your life grows around it and your life gets filled with other stuff so if you imagine like your life is a jar with a penny in it the penny stays in the jar but the jar gets bigger it gets filled with other Mm. things over time and um yeah and I think that's exactly exactly what um he's kind of saying is it will pass because other things will come along and we'll be filled with other stuff and we can move past this yeah yeah and also what they've what they've had is is part of whatever's in that jar as well do you know what I mean like if if for example they're the like yeah what you know they're they're still what yeah whatever it whatever it was that they've had and all of those feelings that they had towards each other definitely well this program wouldn't exist if it hadn't taught that character something if she hadn't come on a journey with what that meant for her to have had that relationship with that specific person at that point that's really interesting I definitely never thought of it that way but um but yeah I can definitely see that in the context of of what that is for them Uh, the other thing is obviously she so she loses boo we never really get to hear too much about what happened there. It doesn't Mm-mm. really get re- revisited too much in the second series. No. Why, why do you think? Why do you think that is? I think perhaps what actually happened doesn't matter all that much because Fleabag's character has so many feelings towards that series of events anyway irregardless of what actually happened there is such a level of guilt that I think she feels and how much she feels for that person similarly to how she says when her mum dies I have all of this love and I have nowhere else to 
put it. I, I don't know where to put it. I don't know where it's going to go. Boo offers her that she can be that person. She has all of this love for also that person and it, and it, and it dissipates and it goes and she has, you know, sort of nowhere else to put it. That is an over, you know, sort of an overwhelming feeling in itself. And I think, I wonder whether the specificities other than, you know, other than what happened with the boyfriend happened, she feels responsible for it. She feels like she was the massive instigator in her best friend dying and she feels an emptiness and there's there's something that's missing from her. I wonder whether that's sort of all, all I think I need to know for the purpose of her making all of those life decisions in because with her brain being sort of full of all of the all of the other stuff, all we know is it's sort of this just like impending this like big sort of like cloud sort of thing in it. And it is a bit, it is a bit fuzzy. It is a bit messy and your memory is fuzzy and your memory gets messy by that point. And when you're filled with so many emotions towards a situation, sometimes, sometimes the specificity of it can be lost, irregardless of the chain of events that come out of, or the, the way that you behave out of a situation. I don't know. I think also you, um, what you said about the love thing, having so much love and not knowing where to put it. I heard an interview, I think it was on The Guilty Feminist, um, about talking about why she then would want to do, what motivated her, Phoebe, to do the second season. And she was saying the first season was very much about despair and she wanted the second season to be about love. And I think it's like, just like you, you talk about that jar growing bigger, it's about her moving on from that pain and the jar growing bigger and her having outlet for the love that she has, a new outlet for the love that she has because it can't be boo anymore. And so we find it in the priest, but also I think we find it in that sister relationship. And I think it does come back when, when the priest sees her and, you know, and he asks her about her other connections and he asks her about her friends and she has those flashbacks to Boo standing there when he's in the guinea pig cafe and he's asking all the questions about it and trying to get close to her. And she's resisting the closeness. She's like, why, why, why do you want to be close? Like, like putting up all those walls. And she does obviously eventually let him in. So I think it's about her growth and her movement. You know, she lets someone see all that horrible trauma with Boo and her feelings towards that and then is able to grow past that. And so I think the focus is on the love and the love for the priest and the love for the sister. And I think the is the the sister sister relationship for me that that it like is the real clincher. Like the priest oh. stuff is fucking is fucking amazing. But when when Claire says to her, You're the only person I'd run through an airport for yeah like and my sister is like my best friend I mean obviously other than Mel. Um, rude. <laughs> um and I would do anything for her and so that line I just like wells up I was like you're the only person I've run through an airport for like it's a beautiful kind of love that I don't think we talk about enough yeah and that's something else I was gonna say actually it's I mean maybe not as much anymore because I feel like I was kind of rattling off in my head sort of like women directed women written shows and films that talk about female friendship and now there are especially in the last five years there's quite a lot more Francis haha there's loads and loads of stuff coming out now Grey's Anatomy Grey's Anatomy oh there you go well forget it there's loads of stuff about female friendship but um, the sisterhood of the traveling pants that like yeah. Oscar winning classic movie it's so yeah. true but I do feel like there was an narrative maybe 10 years ago that was like there's nothing about female friendship and now I feel like there's a lot more yeah yeah no I was just I was just thinking about I, I was trying to like rattle off shows that are um that don't have any anything to sort of do with um what's the word like romantic love and and are and are just shot solely about 
um, female friendship. And I've definitely talked about this show before, but I think it's really in, um, interesting. And I know you're going to roll your eyes, Clan. I watched the show on Facebook Watch and it's called Strangers. And it's, I think it's an independently producer, but it's, it, 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 it's, it's really great anyway. But it follows um, a person who's sort of um, coming into their... Um, queer identity and figuring that out but her relationship and her friend's relationship is really interesting and it's just really cool to see their bond and what happens with them and it's about like so and um, uh what happens when one when they want to move in together and then one of them doesn't want to move in with the other person and it's so funny because they've always had each other and they've always lived together and then one person moves away and and all of that and it's no but it, I just think it's really interesting that to see um, them both while they're sort of doing their thing and you know figuring out dating or whatever and you know this person's giving this advice and all of that to see how much their bond despite the arguments and despite all of that still matters so much um, and how that can be that the fact that that person you know that one of the friends maybe doesn't want to move in with her and she wants to move in with somebody else how like cutting that can be um which is funny because I I sort of I thought it was just going to be a show sort of about um you know the protagonist sort of um dating life and love and uh, and that kind of relationship and I was pleasantly surprised to see that there was a really lovely portrayal of female like fr- a female friendship as with the new film um rocks that came out that's a really, a really mm. lovely film that's about lots of young people um and of, 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 i think they're are they high school high school age girls and their friendship and i recently watched a, a tv show called betty and it's about a group of young female skaters um uh and and yeah and it's again about their friendship so I'm re- I think I'm really recently like coming into lots of tv shows that are um very much about young um like young women young afab people and their friendship which I think is really fascinating mm. and I think the I think the fear is probably among producers that if if um a story centers afab people it will not intrigue a yes. wider potentially male audience um which is really disappointing i we were we actually we were on um um we managed to wing ourselves a clubhouse invite (laughs) um yeah just like somehow on instagram but um and we were listening to which is quite good um for like podcasting stuff i mean there are loads of people who are like i'm an entrepreneur um, and I'm like, oh my God, okay. But there's some really good like chats about podcasting and they were talking about women in podcasting and also like um, they were talking about like the, something like the top 10 uh, like podcasts. I think only like one of them has like only a female host by herself. Mm, okay, that's um, interesting. And like most of the other ones have like a male co-host. So it's almost like, do you need, yeah. do you need a male with either a, a woman or a non-binary person to then make it palatable to male people, mm. which obviously isn't a thing because we have been watching male stories for ages and they're intriguing because people in all of their nuances are intriguing um, and people appreciate people. So, but it's just creating a culture where people are brought to those stories. And I think things like Fleabag and things like I May Destroy You that bring women up in the world. Uh, That was another one we were thinking about talking about, but we thought it might get a dark. Mm. (laughs) Um, uh, You know, because they're becoming so critically acclaimed, you can't not watch them. You can't not. Yeah, and it's the same thing that goes with, you know, like – 
just various groups of people anything that isn't what has been the history of the world i.e the straight cis white middle class man story anything that isn't that is still a story to be told and still a story that any person in the world can resonate to because people who aren't as i said history of the world straight middle class cis white man we've been doing that for ages we've been watching the stuff and attempting to to relate to it and just because you know we're seeing the you know the breaking of these barriers we're seeing more and more and more representation and stories from various folks coming to the fore it doesn't mean that just because they're existing and out there that people who once sort of were were paving the way and once were sort of doing all of the um running of all of the rooms that I thought that was penis wagging penis swinging yes no (laughs) listeners I was shaking my hand around and uh, yes it was I thought you were kind of mimicking paving the way but you were paving like quite like sort of uh magical path that was going up and down but um willy wagging is also a great (laughs) it's for whatever whatever you want to take from it Whatever floats your boat. Whatever floats your boat. Um, Basically, earlier, earlier, like 20 years ago, I feel like there was definitely this kind of huge emergence of lots of male led stories in television. And they just I don't I just felt like that was like so prolific for so many years. And I feel like now we're almost in the counter the. I don't know, the counter argument to that. And we've just got such a, it's like the Renaissance period of like amazing female written TV shows and films. It's like kind of what I'm feeling anyway. Or maybe I've just found I love that. No, I love that. I love it. It's the the, the women in non-binary Renaissance. Mm, I yeah. totally feel like it is. I hope it, yeah. yeah I think no, it I is. Do. I do think it is. Yeah, they, I've watched so much great stuff. in, Like I was just saying, like all the, the stuff in recent times, I think it's, I think it's having hopefully having its time and will continue to have its time you know it won't stop it'll just keep going and getting better and more and more yeah we really did find it quite difficult to choose because we've seen a lot of very fantastic um shows written and starring women we really enjoyed um obviously feel good i made a story you um sarah pasco did a great um bbc uh show um, which came out, which I really enjoyed. Um, There's so much going on, and it's amazing. Mm. I mean, I love I love normal people. That's not. I mean, Sally Rooney wrote it. It's not just females, but that was just fucking fantastic. I loved it. Um, my girl, my girlfriend wouldn't let me watch normal people because um, she said it was too uh, hetero for her. <laughs> <laughs> okay fine I mean I'm hoping one day I'll be allowed to watch it like maybe on my own or something <laughs> that's so funny that's so why doesn't funny. she just let you watch it by yourself she doesn't have to watch it mm, I know but it's locked down like when when do I have time by myself like it's literally she doesn't, we're together constantly <laughs> she doesn't want you to subject her to that kind of energy yeah exactly yeah I feel like I feel like we're one in the same me and your girlfriend I feel like I do this to my husband's when I'm like rolling my eyes and I'm like okay so it's love actually right okay so um 
are there like are there are there any people of color in this film is it remotely representation where are all the gay people where are all the people that aren't it's like tell me yeah, <laughs> I'm sat here like, rolling my eyes at everything yeah and Love but, actually, you know, that- <laughs> Love actually actually had a lesbian storyline that was cut out I heard what? Oh yeah. my god! I read an article about this and I was fucking livid. I was like, maybe I would have liked it more mm. in that case. Oh I know, Devo. It was um, a really good actor whose name I can't remember. But if anyone Google's it, they'll find the storyline. Apparently, also, but apparently, the um, it was the headmistress of um, drummer boys' school was <gasps> was a. Uh, lesbian who was dying of cancer so not even okay. a good lesbian storyline either okay also, okay yeah just very very <laughs> inherently the 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 um the gaze of the lesbian storyline for like history whereby all the lesbians end up dying or all yeah. of the queer people end up dying like what <laughs> your, okay, your gaze yeah <laughs> literally but but the, but the fact that they took that out and they kept the the like basically like porno relationship which like actually went nowhere like which they just porno met relationship oh um the, like where they met like yeah where they met like lighting the film mm, yeah like which of course was funny comic relief but went nowhere or cut the fucking Kira Knightley storyline that was shite oh, that I. I love the film. I love the film, but the Kira Knightley storyline. I'm like, also, you just got married. Why are you snogging this guy in the street who's been nothing but a cunt to you? Yeah, excuse me. Excuse no, my language. Can, that's fine. Don't worry. Um, I think there's a lot wrong with this, and also fucking Colin Frizzle with his big knob going to America and having sex with like three, <laughs> three like identical blonde women who were all kind of in these really sexist films at the time, like The Girl Next Door, which was like a really sort of sex. Sexist uh, high school film that my brothers used to love. Um, basically, all they did was like, let's cut out the lesbians and make this film really awkward to watch with your family over Christmas. <laughs> I love that. Oh my god! <gasps> Funny story. I did actually accidentally watch the first episode of Fleabag with my mum and her partner who I didn't know particularly well at the time and they specifically came in and sat and joined me and my friend as we were watching it in the scene where Fleabag has a wank to Barack Obama it was a really good time for us all um bearing in mind like my family are pretty like um they're pretty despite me running my mouth constantly they're they're fairly um don't know if prudish is the word it's just not really like you know sex is not particularly like you know dinner table topic of conversation as it is obviously amongst your friends as it is with us pretty much now all the time but yeah I uh, unlike unlike the conversations in my family yeah just, just very just very um you know sort of nor- northern British like keep your you know not keep yourself to yourself because they're very bubbly and loud and stuff but yeah anyway but uh but yeah we were literally sat he was like oh we should watch this film sorry we should watch this tv show that everybody's raving about it's really really good I think you'll like it it's intelligently written wonderful started its life as yeah. this Edinburgh show I think you'll really like it you know on an intellectual <laughs> level and we started watching it and I'm, yes and I'd like um this was a friend of mine who we weren't like super super we weren't like best pals or anything but he'd like needed somewhere to stay to do a job in the north and I was like yeah you can go and stay at my like house 
it, like there's not even really technically my house. I was like, yeah, you can go and stay there for a week. I'll be home for like half term and then you can be in my room or something. Anyway, it was all very odd. And they just sort of came in and sat down and they were just like, at, like throughout that entire scene, which is quite long, um, they were just like, oh, oh well and they were just sort of averting eye contact at the like the entire time and me and my pal were sort of just sat there sheepishly like looking at each other as my mum and her partner were just and as I said I didn't know him particularly well at the time and I bet he was just thinking is this the kind of stuff that this is <laughs> is this the kind of stuff that these yulds get up to yeah literally I was like oh Jesus anyway there you go funny story for you but the funniest thing about that scene as well is that Barack Obama said he loved Fleabag so, like, he totally loved that scene of her masturbating over there. Okay, okay. Um, I also love Barack Obama's voice. It's just so beautiful. Are you trying like, to tell that, us something here, Clancy? I mean, okay. I, haven't, I haven't wanked off to it, but I could see the, I can see the appeal completely. I mean, of course. <laughs> He's a very handsome man. Michelle is a very beautiful woman. It's she, all... Yeah. Yeah. He's so cheeky chappy though, isn't he? Mm. Like I saw Becoming um, and like when he like like surprised her and came onto the stage and he was there with his big booming voice and be like, oh, well, you know, stealing the limelight from Michelle and doing that thing where it kind of stops in between. I sound like Pat the Pony now, but he yeah. does. He kind of stops. I can't, I can't do Maybe. any other accent, but Patty, it's all gone back <laughs> You're right, you're right. He does stop him, but he has kind of like pregnant pauses when he speaks and makes him pregnant really good, pauses. You know, like, um, and he, yeah, it makes him a really good speaker. But it also, uh, it's, I never noticed it before until you did your amazing impression. Seventy years longer, <laughs> but we love you know, it. It's fine. If you're listening. We'd still, we'd still have a go. <laughs> Which obviously... <laughs> oh, gosh. Oh, dear. <laughs> I'll leave that to you too. Maybe a good question as well is we've kind of talked about how much, everything we love loads about Fleabag. Is there anything that you think the show gets wrong? Um, I mean, in general, as we just were... I have obviously... I'm, I've read, you know, some articles about this and interesting feelings about the fact that obviously it is a very specific sort of lens on the world in terms of um there not being an awful lot of like diversity and representation etc in the show and it being a very specifically like middle class like upper middle class sort of lens on the world and the privilege that, mm. that comes with that but then I did also read you know sort of um an article saying that um you know, obviously Phoebe Waller-Bridge is writing from her experience and that's sort of what she's writing. She's writing what, what she, what she knows, which is, you know, it's, you know, it's not a slight on her. I guess it's more so a slight on the, um, uh, I guess a slight on the industry, I guess that it, it, that, um, that in terms of the people that are often seen making, the, the the waves etc are people who might have come from a lot of privilege before and you know might have um that are sort of seen to be um 
a, a, a palatable version I guess of, of of events which like I say it's not it's not a slight on her because I think she's very good at like checking her privilege and she has literally said in you know in in the in the past you know being like I'm very aware that sort of my position and life has sort of got me to where I am which is t- it's it's is fine you know it's totally fine but I do think it's interesting um sort of looking into into the industry and sort of seeing what sticks and seeing what does well and yeah just sort of looking at what mm. makes up that and I don't, I don't think it takes up like I said you know I'm very able to sit and connect to the show and understand that it's very well written but yeah I don't think it is particularly um I, I yeah I do think there are sort of places where there could have been you know, maybe just the casting could have been the casting could have been more diverse. More diverse. If the family yeah. was going to be, you know, th- this this white family, for example, there could have been. They d- it didn't dictate that everybody around that could have been. Um, yeah, we yeah. Do, it's just the world that we're living now. We need to see what you can't be, what you can't see, and we need to see more of all of the things. Is the thing that I would say. I'm tr- yeah, I'm trying to think in terms of like plot points, things that I felt yes. were dissatisfying. Um, but I really loved it. I think I do think the second season was more fleshed out, funnily enough, mm. um, because I think I uh, it's another thing I've had in an interview. She was saying that she felt very because the first season was very much a an adaptation of that original play. And it was so from, you know, that it was the lens of that monologue. And she could only do what she could do in the monologue, which is a number of things, but you have so much more to play with when you're on you're on camera and you're showing different worlds and you're able to show more perspectives and blah, blah, blah. As an adaptation of that one-woman show, I think it did fantastically, but I do think the world is so much more vivid in the second season and the other characters get a lot more... Like, we, we fall in love with the other characters. Like, I fucking love Claire's boyfriend, Claire. <laughs> like yes, you know he i love him and the therapist is fucking funny um and the like really sleazy lawyer who like comes to shagger like he's mm. oh yeah so funny yeah and obviously mm. olivia coleman's character gets more screen time and the dad who can't finish a sentence when he does a speech and he's like oh thanks so much for you know well um you know, and the thing. and Yes, know, I, I found that to... very frustrating. I was like, I would love to hear more from this dad. I feel like yeah. the thing is that we never, ever hear more from the dad. And yeah, um, yeah I, I did want to hear a bit more. Yeah, I wanted, I wondered, so um, I watched, is it the, yes, it is, it's the final episode. Um, and Fleabag asks her dad, is like, when he's up in the loft and he gets his foot, caught in the mousetrap and she says truthfully just like tell like tell me what you're thinking and give me one full sentence and he um and he said I think he says something about does he say something about the mouse oh yes no she's asking him why he's up there she thinks he's obviously running away from his marriage and um and he and the sentence that he gives and it is a full sentence is I'm trying to run away from this uh, sorry, I'm trying to I'm trying to check whether this mouse trap is is in place. But I wondered. I thought we might get in that specific moment. I thought we might get a little bit more. I thought it would be that sentence, and then we might have a beat, and then there'd be sort of more unpacking of whether he was actually running away from this marriage, which it, se- it seemed like it was in the interactions out of that. Um, but then you know what? He's a, he, he's a man of he's a man of few words. 
as is she really in terms of you know she has her looks and we can learn a lot about a person from their body language and their looks um so I think they kind of fall under the same both um as each other there but yeah I thought we might have heard a bit more from him at that point uh yeah we never find out why he's really in the attic and that's that's disappointing I think yeah oh no he just says I can't do it and then she mimics him saying buck up get you know we, we what did she say we carry on buck up um and then she lifts him up as he did with her when she was crying about her mum I think at the beginning of the season but yeah um other than him actually running away from the marriage but we're, we're left to decide that aren't we you're right we don't get definitive answers and that's true of a lot of the show is that you don't get a lot of definitive answers really we don't know if the priest's ever going to come back we don't know what really happened with boo we don't know we don't know we don't know do you think the priest would come back no i don't think so neither no and i i think the wave to camera is very clear <laughs> like obviously that's her but i do think for his health and sanity like he's clearly been through a lot and has come to this life for a reason and i do think like it's like i i think by throwing it away he would risk a lot as well and i don't think and i think once he's out of her vicinity and the feelings passed he's not going to risk them coming back by going back to her i don't think not at all yeah i think he would find closure and seek peace elsewhere I think yeah. so too. I think so too. Oh, it's really good. <laughs> really good. It's such a good show. I was going to say one thing I did, I, I was going to say, is just uh, uh, I love Phoebe Willibridge. <laughs> I think she is, um, just listening to her talk about her work, she fucking loves it. She, she fucking loves it. And I love that she loves it. Like she really cares and she's really invested and she really just wants to tell good stories. And I love that. I love that. Like I heard her being like, um, she got interviewed and they were like, what's, what, what's been your favorite thing to work on? She's like, it's always the thing I'm doing now. Cause she's like, I get obsessed. I get obsessed. And I love that in an artist. And I think as quite an intense person myself. Um, I really admire passion in other people. Yeah, yeah. That I was going to, my thought was that through lockdown and having had time to watch brilliant TV and also that, brilliant tv has come out in this period of time watching that and watching the processes of people and watching how people react to shows that are especially shows that are bringing up really important things especially right now has a been brilliant i think has also been really really good that we have space to be able to have these conversations around around shows um, right now because we've got the time to do it and also just genuinely seeing people who are passionate about their work putting these shows out there um, that are telling brilliant stories and talking about difficult things and I feel kind of like moving society forwards. Is that too bold a statement to say? I'm not sure. It's 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 as a as a creative as an actor, watching that happen, and as you say, Clancy, watching people be passionate while they're doing it is fascinating and brilliant, and makes me want to do it too. Yeah. 
And I think you will. And I think you probably, you're on your way already, you know? Cross our fingers. I'll let you know when I've got a first draft and I'll send it to you. <laughs> Brilliant. And then you can come back on the podcast to talk about your own show, which would be Great. sensational. Hey. Yes, we'll have to. <laughs> and that's our show. Thank you for listening. And a huge thank you to Mel and Clancy for coming on to the podcast this week. You can listen to Open House everywhere you get your podcasts and you can also find them on on Instagram at Open House Pod or on Twitter underscore Open House Pod. You can also find us on Instagram at DVJangeMe and on Twitter at DVJangeMePod. If you like what you heard, make sure to subscribe to us on all of your favourite podcast apps and please leave us a review if you have Apple Podcasts. Um, I would just be great to find out what people think that would be nice but only if it's nice um, The this podcast was produced by me Beth Watson and edited by myself um, music was produced by the beautiful musical mastermind that is Iora Music and that's everything bye